welcome back to Alex's Daily Grind, where I talk about whatever the hell I want. Welcome to my head. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about three very interesting things. Uh, first off, we're going to talk about seriousness in business. Second, we're going to talk about all those sexual misconduct allegations. And third, we're going to talk about how customers misvalue brands and why. So I decided to start doing this three-topic uh, episodes from now on because it just feels right. Uh, and five topics just way too much. And usually the topics are very overwhelming, so it kind of makes sense. So people in business, uh, why I wanted to do this piece? Well, because I deal with people in business all the time. Uh, and I'm running two parallel streams in my life, right? I'm, I'm running uh, my startups, and that's where I talk to people who are super dynamic and very flexible, and they're willing to talk to you. And the second stream is uh, is my engineering company, where I have to talk to uh, a bunch of people in business, corporate executives, and uh, and companies, and not necessarily people who actually know you or want to talk to you in the first place. And you have to break some barriers before you actually get to, uh, to, to, to conversations that both parties are interested in and can mutually benefit from. So the second part has always been giving me this weird feeling, right? When you're breaking those barriers, uh, it's not like breaking those barriers in personal life or in just small talk conversations, right? When you, uh, I mean, the classic example of you meeting someone at the bus or a concert, or at the bar or a gas station, you always start with small talk and it feels natural because the situation is natural, right? The situation is that you're both doing something together here. You have this thing in common. You always have something to talk about or you both notice the same thing and that's that kind of unites you and gives you ground to talk to. Plus, you have no agenda because you, you have no idea who that person is unless you're actually uh, pursuing some goal and you know who that person is, but that's creepy. So in business, it's totally different because both parties kind of understand that one party is a provider and the other one is, well, seller and buyer basically, right? It, 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 it's rarely something else. I mean, it's rarely that two parties, uh, that two parties are totally equal peers, right? Uh, I mean, that happens when acquisitions happen or something like that. But in general, one party is always the seller and the other party is always the buyer. And the seller needs to work hard to create the feeling that the seller is not trying to sell anything, which is kind of weird and stupid because the seller is the seller and the buyer knows that the seller is going to sell something. Uh, yes, the buyer needs to be wanting to buy from the seller. Uh, but oftentimes the buyer doesn't quite understand the magnitude of this relationship or the benefit, the potential benefit, right? And it takes time for the buyer to actually realize what kind of value the seller is going to bring uh, to the table. Now, in the past, it was an issue for me. Today, obviously, as Techery has grown and uh, more and more companies know about us and more and more companies recognize uh, what kind of value we created for other companies. It's becoming lesser of an issue, but I see this across the industry and a lot of people are struggling with this. But I think the most, uh, like the, the most interesting factor about this is that it's not company 
to a company relationship. It's person to personal relationship. It's usually you have one or two contact points on the other side, right? Uh, you can't really have a relationship with a, you know, with a legal entity. You have a relationship with a person and that person needs to be absolutely in line or, you know, in sync with your line of thinking. That's how relationships are built, just the same way as they're built on guest stations, at guest, at guest stations. And there are two, two issues here. Issue number one is that sellers usually can't, give, can't, can't get rid of the feeling that they're actually there to sell something. And it's really hard to do that, but, uh, and, and to shift your mentality to value adding and not jumping into uh, offers and not jumping, you know, uh, over the top with your amazing ideas and stuff like that. Basically, it's if you meet someone at gas station, you're not going to jump into that person's life right away and start giving them advices. If you see, I don't know, a child in the backseat and you've been there and you start giving them parental, you know, advice or something like that. You never do that. You ask questions, you get to know the person, you're relaxed, you're laid back. But sellers in business world, they're usually like right, you know, they're on top of things right away because they're casting the net. Usually that's the problem. They're trying to uh, to make the numbers work. Okay, I reach out to 10 people and one person will become my prospect and maybe out of 100 prospects, one will become my lead and out of 100 leads, one will become my customer. I think it's hor it's horrible to think that way. Uh, why can't every person you connect with become your customer? Uh, theoretically, every person can. It's just that you're not really putting enough effort into thinking what are you actually doing on a daily basis. You're treating your your leads, your prospects, people you talk to, as if they're you know just numbers, and you're just trying to play those numbers. That's totally wrong. That's that's the that's the problem on seller's end. On buyer's end, though, the problem is, you know, is funnier, and that's what this this piece is about. Uh, is that people in business just you know they sometimes behave like they're going to live forever. Like what they do has some kind of magical impact that might earn them eternal life. You know that what they do is so impactful and serious that it will just be there forever. And then you see those people resign like in three months or six months. This has always been staggering to me, actually. You know, working with a person for four years, for example, and uh, that person giving you hell every time, right? And, and basically being on top of things, not in, the, not in a good way, just being on top of things, controlling stuff and just, you know, being accusing and, and being, being an asshole, you know, in some, some situations. And making it sound and look like in and and in his speeches and emails and everything else, making it look making it look like what he or she is is doing is the most important job in the world, and everyone now has to lose sleep, and everyone you know all the all the service providers and employees need to lose their sleep and spend no time with their families and skip holidays and stuff like that because. With that person, that person is leading you towards some bright future and some absolutely amazing things. And then that person resigns unexpectedly, like three months from, 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 from that point or, you know, four years later, that person just resigns one day. And what happens? Well, you haven't seen the bright future yet. You haven't really come to any amazing uh, realizations. 
you've been doing what you you know what, what what he asked you to do or she asked you to do and that person is now working for someone else just resigned and you know taking a one-year vacation or something like that and you talk to that person offline now and he's the sweetest guy or a gal or you know just just a regular person at gas station and you're having a small chat there's absolutely nothing that uh, no leverage on either end and it's just freaking weird like how did that happen like why did you behave like an asshole when you worked for that company and now all of a sudden you're just a normal person so that brings me i mean fortunately i've maybe had one or two examples of people like that uh but i know that a lot of service companies they struggle with people like those and i know a lot of people like those and you know working for companies uh well it happened we know why it happens, right? We have it happens because that person is trying to uh, compensate for whatever losses that person had in you know in his or her life, childhood issues, you know all that all that stuff. Th th this is not about the reasons. It's about how amazing is that that so many adults working those top ranked positions really are really taking their jobs so seriously that they're ready to ruin other people's lives. And to make them feel miserable, you know, uh, they're ready to make those people feel miserable because of, uh, you know, their jobs, because of their tasks and whatever. And then once they step down, they just became, you know, they just became, become normal again. I think it's ridiculous. And I really value and appreciate people in business who I work with who understand that it's all a game, right? We're all playing a big game. Uh, sometimes small game, sometimes big game, but it, it is a game. It has rules, it has players, it has rewards, but it's all made up, right? We're all, you know, humans. We live in, you know, on, on this earth that is a giant ball that's glowing in, in space and uh, spinning around. And I mean, it's all just so much more, right? But our jobs and our, our tasks, this daily grind, all, all this uh, enthusiastic and uh, inspirational, you know, things that we care about on a daily basis. All that stuff is made up. Basically, it's made up not to lose our minds because if we think about how small we actually are and how unimpactful we really are on a daily basis as humans and what's happening to us on a daily basis as cosmos, uh, animals... I mean, we would just go crazy. So we created jobs, we created companies, we created, you know, all those impactful things. And we we play those games. Now, I'm not saying that it's irrelevant uh, because I personally think that if you play a game, you have to play the game. Like you have to play play the game 100%. Like Jim Carrey said it today, I posted this, uh, this little post. Uh, Jim Carrey on Bill Maher, uh, Maher, yeah, Bill Maher said, uh, when he was asked about the roles, right, Ace Ventura and you know all the all other roles that uh, Bill Maher mentioned that no one else could have played those roles except Jim Carrey, and he said, "Yeah, uh, I was making wrong choices all the time, but I committed completely." And that's the that's the trick. Like, if you decide to play a game, why would you want to treat it like a game? You would want to treat it like the most important thing at that moment because that's the essence of the game to feel the game to be inside to to solve completely and to well to to benefit from it 100 percent. yeah it's pretty much just the dopamine and self-esteem and whatever 
uh, and money as just byproduct. But at the same time, it is a game. And I think it's a fine line. You know, there's a fine line between actually realizing that it's all a game and uh, committing completely to winning. But I, I, I mean, I reject, uh, I reject this notion that you, if you commit completely to winning the game, you have to make other people miserable because of that. I mean, you don't have to become a prick, right? That's the thing. And taking it too seriously, like bringing your game to a level where you become so arrogant that you think you're actually changing the world and that you have some kind of power over other people's lives uh, that you want to change you give you want to give them a gift you know of whatever you produce i think it's really uh overrated and uh you can see it across uh you know across any any vertical including uh inclu including uh humanitarian verticals too uh just this arrogance of people thinking that they can change someone else's lives by doing something uh i think it's it's already too much but i really appreciate you know so many people who donate i mean i myself am a donor and uh, a philanthropist in that sense and i will be doing this obviously but not because i think that i genuinely believe that i will be changing someone's lives i will be as a byproduct but it's just my willingness to help someone it's natural it doesn't come from calculations it doesn't come from uh some conservative thinking about this or having a plan or having you know some reports uh written in order to uh you know to 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 base my my point of view on it comes from natural desire to help someone if i see someone struggling i want to help that person one person or a hundred people doesn't matter it's just you know just natural so that vertical you know is fine as long as you think in these terms but once you start imposing your power over other people who are less fortunate for example then that becomes arrogance and that becomes unhealthy i think uh, again it's my opinion like you know you're obviously entitled to yours but i was talking about people in business pretty much and i i would really want to see more people taking their jobs less seriously with more fun elements, injecting more fun elements into the game, because that would just make business so much fun. And sometimes, many times, you could come uh, work. I mean, I, I, I myself haven't experienced this because I haven't worked for anyone for the last 15 years, I think. But I imagine that if you can work for a company, you want to work for a company with a big cause or, you know, which is famous for its culture like nike for example you want to come work for nike and you get um you know a position of vp or director or something and you come work for that company and you realize that while you're there now you can do stuff and it's all fun and culture is there but somehow your svp your senior vice president is an asshole for example and that person takes things you know just to a different level and they're too serious about what they do and what they do is shoes, right? But no, they actually change people's lives and they make them happy and they make them smile. So smile, make them smile. I'm not saying that Nike has that vice president or that SVP, but I'm just saying that one person above you, like with rank above you, one rank above, could actually change your entire perspective and can ruin your experience of working for uh, otherwise well-established uh, company with great culture. 
that would be a fit. So I think you have to always remember that it's all just a game. It's a fun game. We all play it. We exchange. It's transactional, right? And uh, well, talking about transactional, second topic comes to mind about the sexual misconduct allegations. Um, this article, I mean, we've seen so many of those in the last two years, uh, but this article, it came, uh, came across my, 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 my desktop just the other day. Someone sent it to me about Les Moonves. I'm not sure if I'm reading that correctly. I don't know this guy, but apparently he's a, he used to be a big Hollywood executive. And I was reading this, this article about him goes like this facing multiple sexual conduct allegations and fearing his career uh, as an entertainment titan was over lastly moonves or moon i don't know the chief executive of cbs destroyed evidence and misled investigators in an attempt to preserve his reputation and save a lucrative uh severance deal according to a draft of a report prepared for the company's board now you have to i have to mention that this is on the new york times which is not the most objective uh, source, obviously. But still, I mean, this is the, the, world, the world that we live in. The world of uh, articles like these making it too public uh, and basically giving us just one side of things, right? So it goes like this. The report, yeah, they're talking about his, his history and stuff like that. Um, the lawyers who conducted the inquiry uh, wrote that they had spoken with Mr. Moonves four times and found him to be evasive and untruthful at times <laughs> and to have deliberately lied about and minimized the extent of his sexual misconduct. How the hell would they do that? I'm just, you know, it's just really weird. But then they go to, uh, to, to give us more details. Uh, based on the facts developed to date, we believe that the board would have multiple uh, bases upon which to conclude that the company was entitled to terminate Moonves for cause. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Moonves denies having any non-consensual non sexual relationship uh, and co uh, cooperated extensively and fully with the investigators. Like, of course he would deny to have any non-consensual sexual relationship because the only non-consensual sexual relation would be rape, right? So otherwise, I can't really see any other scenario, but apparently New York Times does, and those investigators do, and those women do. So as part of their investigators, the lawyers wrote that they had interviewed 11 of the 17 women who they knew uh, had accused Mr. Moonves of misconduct or harassment and found their accounts to be credible. How did you find those accounts credible? Well, that's my logical first question, right? Do they have videotapes, audio tapes, or any kind of tapes, any kind of evidence at all? Because this is all getting really, really weird and, 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 and strange and actually spooky, right? Because so many allegations years after and usually uh, against man who are wealthy <laughs> let's put it this way i mean it's just suspicious right i'm not saying that he didn't do it uh well actually what didn't he do i mean he's certainly not a raper right because rapist 
Otherwise, those women would have said that he raped them. But what did he actually do? Let's let's see if they have any evidence here in this article. Uh, no findings have been reported to the board. A spokesman for the investigators said on Tuesday, the board has reached no conclusions on this matter. The investigators and the board are committed to a, thaw, uh, to a thorough and fair process. Note that while they're uh, putting this up, uh, while they're posting this, the guy is already uh, he's already resigned. He he was forced to resign because of this allegations. So he has already lost his job, right? He's already lost his cash flow. Uh, I mean, yeah, poor guy, uh, wealthy guy, 120 million or whatever. It doesn't matter. Everyone is equal, and everyone has to have equal opportunities. That's what I think. And I mean, you can't be forced to resign without evidence. So let's see if they have any. Uh, our work is still in progress, and there are bound to be many facts and assessments that evolve and change as work is completed. Yeah, great details. Uh, okay, let's let's see if they actually have anything. Uh, okay, investigators wrote that they had found that Mr. Moon thus received oral sex from at least four CBS employees under circumstances that sound transactional and improper to the extent that there was no hint of any relationship, romance, or uh, reciprocity, especially given what we know about him, uh, his history of more or less, more or less forced oral sex with women with whom he has no ongoing relationship. Uh, let it sink. So he had oral sex with at least four CBS employees, women, uh, under circumstances that sound transactional sound transactional so it means that woman gives him oral sex and he gives woman what well if they sound transactional it wasn't money right because that, that that would be factual uh so a position or maybe he threatened them to that, that, that they would not lose their jobs or something like that okay let's assume that that was the case but uh more or less forced oral sex how the hell does that happen? I would, I would love to see, I would love to talk or hear what the actual women had to say about uh, this stuff being non-consensual. Because how can you give a blowjob to someone if you're not willing to do so? If it's not, you know, if it's not consensual, because you obviously consent to it. Yes, I mean, it's totally wrong if he said, hey, if you blow me, I will, you know, I will keep your job. Okay, that's totally wrong. Please, you know, get him on, on the tape, you know, record that stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know, be, be a little smarter if you really want to expose that man. Uh, but if you agree to that, you're actually part of this uh, horrible scenario. I mean, he might be an asshole by asking you to do it right obviously it's wrong it's totally wrong this this guy's an asshole if he ever did that but you agreed to do that you actually did it you can i mean your consent is obvious you did it force i mean more or less forced oral sex i'm not i'm not even sure what that means like how could it be more or less forced it could only be forced by him uh threatening her to fire her in case she denies or he re she rejects but then you know what's the point of working for you know for a prick like that 
you know, have some self-esteem. I don't know. It's, it's just ridiculous that someone would agree to suck somebody's dick in order to, uh, to keep your job. Like, it's, it's just beyond my, uh, my understanding. I'm sorry. And I'm not defending anyone here because, ob- I mean, to me, it's obvious that both parties are pretty equal, you know, in terms of being absolutely ridiculous. Like one guy wants to get a blowjob to uh, have a leverage over the girl and the girl gives him a blowjob because she consents to it and she wants to keep her job. I think, yes, it is transactional and it is mutually beneficial in this case. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if the guy had no money, no allegations would follow, would have followed. Uh, such a pattern arguably constitutes willful uh, misfeasance and violation of the company's sexual harassment policy. Of course it does. Of course. But I wouldn't call it uh, sexual harassment because it is a consensual act. Like they pointed themselves. Uh, it is a transactional act in this case. Uh, investigators wrote that they had received multiple report, uh, reports about a network employee who was on call to perform oral sex on Mr. Moonves. A number of employees were aware of this and believed that the woman was protected from discipline or termination as a result of it, the lawyers wrote. Moonves admitted to receiving oral sex, obviously, from the woman, his subordinate, in his office, but described it as consensual. Of course it was consensual. How else would he receive it? Like, you can't really force anyone to open their mouth and, you know, and, and, and kneel down. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry to go for going into these details, but it's ridiculous. Of course it was consensual. Otherwise, it would never happen. Otherwise, it would be rape. And that's jail time. And she would have reported it to police right away because the evidence would be undeniable. There will be physical uh, effects on her body, like actual, actual effects on her body, like bruises and stuff like that. And she would probably, you know, try to, you know, beat him with something, you know, in the head or punch him in the face or nuts or whatever. I mean, otherwise it is consensual. The woman didn't respond to the investigator's requests for an interview. So who the hell did you interview then? Like you said, 11 women out of 17. So they probably haven't. And and so far, like they said, there is no evidence or there is no nothing to report. Okay, great. So out of 17 women, you've interviewed 11. So maybe you should have actually uh, been focused on those six that you haven't interviewed yet. Because uh, as far as I understand, these 11 women give you shit uh okay mr one was lawyer said never put or kept someone on the payroll for the purpose of sex yeah of course he would say that but it might not be true i'm pretty sure he did it i'm pretty sure he somehow uh somehow hinted you know that uh that would be beneficial for the girl for the woman i'm not sure you know who who was who was there in his in his office but for women really I mean, again, it's entertainment industry. This stuff happens everywhere. And that's that's what's scary about this. This this is what I think is going to happen. Like why I even decided to mention this, uh, this piece here is that I think that CEO man will soon start, uh, start, stop, stop hiring women. It's the only conclusion that I can get from this because it looks like 
if you're a CEO of a successful startup or a company, uh, and uh, on one hand, you're forced now by you know this overwhelming cultural shift to be diverse. Uh, so diversity of ideas doesn't matter anymore. What matters is diversity of color and gender. So you have to hire a bunch of you know different people. And it's I mean I'm not I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that yes, of course diversity is great. But I, again, I'm I'm very conservative in, in in terms of what it means being uh, diverse. My kind of diversity is the diversity of ideas. So if I have five women with amazing ideas, all different, I will hire all five women and I would hire no man if the man would just be all black and, and, and Asian and uh, gay and whatever, just, you know, diverse man, diverse group of men, but having the same ideas or being absolutely, uh, you know, uh, thinking absolutely alike, I, I, I would benefit, my benefit would be zero from hiring those men. So I would hire all those women who have all those different ideas. But I don't think that uh, companies should be forced to diversify their employees, uh, their employee group by just hiring because uh, for, for, your, for your skin color or by hiring for your gender. That doesn't make any sense to me because companies are started in order to make profit and in order to build something. And to build something and to make profit, you got to have people who are talented and who are smart and who are extraordinary and extraordinary people they they are usually not your average thinkers there are usually people with extraordinary talents or with uh, some fresh ideas and that's diversity diversity of color gender or whatever is not diversity it's well it is diversity but it's not beneficial for any company so given this 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 trend that on one hand companies you know companies who hire more men than women naturally from uh you know just because 10 men show up and one woman shows up for example for interviews you would eventually hire more men statistically it's just math uh if you do that eventually you might find yourself in the situation when the public opinion will start imposing its will on you because you are being judgmental towards women you've been discriminative and all that stuff and you will be forced to think to start seeking more women candidates even though there is no market, but you will be forced to pay attention to this, uh, which I think is wrong. Uh, and I just explained why. But on the other hand, if you do hire women, there's always a chance that whatever you do, like even when you talk to someone or, you know, you could actually like, you know, or, you know, if you're a single and, you know, the woman is single, for example, you might date her unless there is some policy against that. But if there is not, if you're a startup, for example, and you date a woman, that you hired what's wrong with that like if you naturally you know fall in love or you know you, you both just want to be together for a while or you know and see how that relationship works out and then nothing works out and that woman just you know she stays and she works for your company there's always a chance now because of this stuff that that woman years later when you're a billionaire can you know uh can report you for sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. I think it's ridiculous. Where's all this, you know, evidential uh, legal system? Where is it? Like, why aren't we looking at evidence? Why aren't we looking at data? Why, why, why aren't we 
requesting that stuff right away. Like, why do we even start uh, looking into those cases just based on uh, somebody's somebody's uh, reports, somebody's you know, some somebody's words? And I mean, I'm, I'm I'm I feel bad for those women, really, that they have to live with that load in their hearts, and that they have to actually you know just live with that day to day. Uh, if there was an actual sexual misconduct and they actually had to experience this kind of shit. But again, what I don't understand is why you have to wait so long. They say, yeah, they're afraid to step up and to to speak up and stuff. Why? Why aren't you afraid now? Because one one woman did it? Like, what's the difference? Or you didn't want to lose your job. Well, then that's consensual uh, automatically because you have to give up something in order to gain something. And in this case, if you want to gain uh, justice, you have to give up your job, obviously, because you can't work. And I mean, and on the other hand, if you don't want to lose your job, then I mean, how could you work with a man who harassed you or who, you know, improperly touched you or something like that? It's just, you know, it's just not good for your self-esteem, really. So then you're, you know, you're actually a part of this transaction. And I mean, there might be different situations, but this is what I'm reading from, uh, you know, from articles so far. I'm, I understand there might be many more cases of, you know, this stuff and maybe different variations. But from what I see now, I'm yet to see any evidence in most of the cases. And sometimes there are, and great, good for those women. I mean, not good that it happened, but good that they had some evidence. But if there was no evidence, then this is just empty talk. Anyway final topic for today is how customers misvalue brands. This is a short and very fun one. This is what my wife plays, uh, this game. This is the game that my wife plays with my mom all the time. My mom, she loves brands, but she can't really differentiate one from another. My wife, though, on the other hand, she's not into brands, but she buys all the expensive brands and uh, she knows all of them and she can she can spot a brand right away when she sees it, like rare stuff, pop-up stores, like she's there. And this is the fun stuff. You know, it always happens like this. Uh, my wife brings home, for example, some um, very plain-looking, boring-looking shirt she, that she just bought for $600, and it's, you know, some some cool brand. And my mom, when she visits, she looks at it and says, oh, that looks pretty boring and dull until my wife says, well, actually that's, uh, this brand like Chanel. My wife's like, my mother's like, wow, really? Is that Chanel? Oh, it looks really dope. Like that's, that's really cool. That, that, that shirt is really amazing. Oh, what material? And then my wife says, no, actually it's not. I mean, I, just, I, I was kidding. This is, yeah, I just got it at a Turkish market just around the corner for 12 bucks. My wife, my mom's like, yeah, I knew that. You see, I knew that. And my wife's like, no, actually, I'm kidding again. It is Chanel. And it is Chanel. And my wife, and my mom's like, ah, so yeah, because I thought that it looked expensive, but it just, you know, just thought it wasn't. So every time she does this, I mean, I laugh, obviously, but it also makes me think how we consumers react to certain things when they're promoted or marketed properly, right? This is what happens to a lot of things, really, in our lives, uh, starting from food and restaurants to, you know, clothing and, you know, products that we buy. Sometimes they're massively overrated, right? 
we saw this uh, at a certain point when Apple was competing with Samsung and HTC and other brands that were way less expensive, but they did pretty much the same thing or even better than Apple. But still, Apple was and still is the brand that speaks to your status, whatever whatever you want to call it, speaks to your ability to uh, to be to be able to buy it and stuff like that. So it's all byproducts of of the brand value, and that value is driven by the consumers. So it is prestigious, right, to own something prestigious. Why is it prestigious? Because other people said it is, and because you make it look like it is. And uh, I think that brands today and, and companies as a whole, they need to actually use this. They need to embrace this and use it because all consumers think alike. And this will never change. There will always be things that are things of status that people want, would want to own. And uh, if you're misvaluing your brand in the first place, then consumers will, will do too. Uh, but if you actually make it sound and look and feel like it is an expensive thing, even though it's averagely priced, then people would uh, make the price go up. Uh, I saw another uh, very funny clip about some guys in Europe who went to a foodie convention or something like that, where a lot of food critics from Europe, they gathered to evaluate local restaurants and uh, some farmers and stuff like that, just basically uh, to give them uh, to, to, to give them marks or whatever to see if uh, there are any great uh, great restaurants and to rate them. So these guys went to McDonald's, they got two cheeseburgers, they cut them in uh, like little pieces, like inch by inch, uh, and they stuck little French flags into those uh, little pieces, you know, like they like restaurants do sometimes when uh, they have uh, some menu on display, just tasting menu. And they went to this convention, uh, they got themselves a booth, and they offered critics to uh, try out their uh, locally grown uh, gourmet burgers. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun to watch. None of those critics uh, was able to critique the, the burgers. They were praising them like crazy. They were giving them the highest marks possible, talking about flavor and texture and how they actually felt that, you know, this this was free-range beef and stuff like that. It's amazing. You know, they were praising the buns and, and the mustard and how they felt that it was all manually, uh, manually made and uh, the mastery of the chef, like compliments to the chef and stuff like that. It's amazing. And they actually told them, like, hey, actually, that was McDonald's. Most of them just turned away and, and left because they just, you know, they just realized that they were tricked, but they were tricked by their own minds because they saw those flags. They saw, you know, nice suits on those guys. They saw pretty uh, fashionably uh, designed booth and automatically it created the image of that restaurant, even though they've never heard about it. But that's even better. And they had some fancy name for the restaurant. So basically, all that stuff, all that entourage created an image in their heads that this is a high-end restaurant that they have never heard about. And this is the opportunity now to evaluate this high-end restaurant. And their brains, they just automatically switched into the high-end mode. And they made them say things they did. Uh, and that's what we do. Like when we come to a high-end restaurant, sometimes the food is really average, but... 
sometimes it feels more expansive, like more tasteful or, uh, you know, just, just delicious based on the price tag. Like wine, you know, it's really hard for many people to differentiate, you know, $12 wine from a hundred dollar per bottle wine. And it's true. Like many people can't tell the difference. Uh, I mean, you got to be a really, like, really professional wine drinker, I guess, in order to be able to do that. But sometimes you just can't. And you can't because, I mean, naturally, it is very hard to use your tongue as your only, uh, as your only meter for, you know, measuring those things. But what I'm saying is that uh, smart brands, smart companies, they understand this, uh, this effect and they use it. Uh, you know, and it's like Apple designs the iPhone, I mean, designed in California, manufactured in China, but it's designed in California. So that one phrase, it already gives Apple, you know, an edge over other brands who are just designed in Taiwan or made in China. So these little things, they show you how brands use this effect on a daily basis. And you should too, because why not? I mean, every inch, uh, every bit, every little detail could potentially uh, multiply the effect and, you know, become really valuable for your brand. And uh, the best thing, of course, if when consumers become evangelists of your brand and start talking to other people about it and start promoting it and start uh, guarding your brand's vitality to their lives. I mean, that's just amazing. That's what happened to Apple. That's what happened to Mercedes, BMW, and all that stuff. People became fans for life. And this is what all brands you know, should be striving for, I guess. Uh, how do you do that? Well, by imposing a lot of those things, injecting a lot of those things into your brand value uh, from different levels. And that's when you need diversity. That's when you need people with diverse ideas uh, that they could be taking care of all these things. If you have people with the same ideas, like I said, it's not diversity, even if they have different color, uh, skin color and different genders, doesn't mean a thing, you will lose in the end. So my advice to you guys, try for diversity of ideas, try to stay away from sexual uh, misconduct in your companies. And uh, yeah, just take things less seriously. Uh, it's all fun, it's all just a game. And uh, yeah. I guess that's all I had for you today. If you like what you hear, don't be an ass and do three things one after another. First, click like. Second, click share and add your comment if you wish. Something like, hey, this is awesome. And third, click subscribe and don't forget to turn on the notifications. Oh, one last thing that I need you to do is have a great life. Daily.